Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. My first guest tonight I'm really excited about. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Earlier this week, the University of Minnesota announced that they will no longer consider race in their college admission procedures. At the same time, they said that family influence, whether through attendance or employment, will also be dropped when looking at prospective students. Now, the university is one of several schools to remove legacy status from their admissions process in light of the Supreme Court's recent ruling on affirmative action. Now, what would this mean for higher education moving forward? Well, let's find out from Nat Smittenbull, a college admissions counselor at Ivy Wise. He joins us now on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Hello, Nat. Am I saying your name correctly? Yeah, sure. It's Nat Smittenbull. That, that was great. Oh, awesome. Well, welcome to CCO. We really appreciate your time. I must say that I am disappointed in all of this legacy talk, but then I started reading what it means um, to have legacy students in a university. Tell us about that. Well, so the legacy, uh, legacy admits typically means that you are giving, you're affirming sons, daughters, students that, uh, who have family members who have attended a specific university. Um, so it's it's been part of the process for a long time, and we have, like as you said before, a, a couple of universities that have now reversed that and, and done away with legacy preferences. Yet there are some that some of these universities are are extending the definition of a legacy much further, including nieces, nephews, grandsons, granddaughters, and sometimes even siblings. Is that going too far? It depends on the university, right? So there are some universities that will consider that, um, and there are a couple of reasons why they would um, to have a family tradition, um, and, and we will certainly get to kind of the bottom of it because the legacy preferences, you know, it's optically what people will talk about, but it's not really the heart of the matter um, because you can still be a legacy student or a legacy preference and still be admitted for other reasons, right? If we think about a Venn diagram, there's many reasons that you get admitted. And so if you can't be admitted for the legacy preference, you could be admitted for what we would call a development preference, right? So those are the real legacy admits that that make a difference from a college's perspective, um, because those are families that have been philanthropic to the university and will continue to be and, and have been, and, and that can provide you know, opportunities for, for many other students on, on the university campus. 
How long has this been going on, the legacy uh, at all of these, many of the uh, universities and colleges? How long has this been happening? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think there's, before people were actually calling it a legacy preference, this was happening where you were giving a preference to certain, you know, certain, you, you were affirming certain populations. So it's hard to say exactly when everyone started calling it legacy preferences, but now when you look at research, they're kind of grouping this population with other populations that are affirmed, just that, just the way that, you know, students were affirmed for their their ethnic or their racial background previously before the, the Supreme Court decided that you could no longer do that. Well, this is a big deal and it's a big change. How are the universities and colleges even considering how this is going to change and still make it part of it? I mean, are we talking about getting rid of legacy, period, when it comes to universities and colleges for the students? Yeah, so th- this is a great conversation because, like you said, initially, you were a bit disappointed. Oh my gosh, like my kids, you know, I've been, I've been a legacy and I've, you know, worked hard and I want my, my son or daughter, my student to go to the same university that I went to. Um, but if you look at the data and what happens when you take away legacy preferences, you'll see that it opens up a lot of spots for underrepresented students. So mm-hmm. if you, if you were to just take, let's say, Johns Hopkins University was very visible and, and when they, when they got away from legacy preferences, um, in about 2014 or so, and at that time, the number of underrepresented students, or the number specifically of Pell-eligible students, was very, very low. Uh, and the number of students who were legacy preferences was high, and shortly after they got rid of legacy preferences, those percentages switched. The number of Pell-eligible students right, almost, mm-hmm. you know, became a larger number. And that's what you've seen at other institutions that have done so. So it does give more room and more ability to admit students who have been marginalized historically in the process. Wow, that's remarkable. You know, my daughter uh, attended two Ivy Leagues and, you know, there were students that would uh, tease her even when she was in high school. She was uh, finalizing all of her work in, in high school and there were people who said, oh, you'll never get into that school. And, you know, you probably you're probably only getting in because, you know, some of your parents or, you know, you know, people, they know people at the school and that's why you're getting in. It's really sad um, when a student has to hear something like that. And it's a student who has a 4.2. Right. So. Excuse me. Right. No wonder they got rid of all of that, the grading, you know, 4.2 and all of that. They started getting rid of that. Thank goodness. But I, I, I cannot tell you how frustrating it is when you, we all have to fight to get in a position to be able to go to a university that we are worth going to. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So for this to, to be going on right now, particularly with uh, students, some students that are looking more at, you know, their generation saying, I don't need college. I don't even need a, I don't even need a degree. And right. I cannot tell you how that breaks my heart, right? Um, and so when you hear this, don't we see mm-hmm. or do others see like yourself and say, look, you guys, you're damaging what we've already built. Why are we taking things down that we always mm-hmm. said we'd never take it down? Yeah, are you talking specifically about the affirmation of race? The affirmation of race, uh, the affirmation of the legacy, all of that. I don't know why it's a problem. 
Right. So I think when when you talk about, you know, the, the colleges that you've just, just mentioned, you know, Wesleyan College being one of the more recent ones that have, you know, have taken away legacy, what they're doing is that they're signaling to the general public that, hey, in light of the Supreme Court decision, you know, we're, we're uncomfortable with with kind of how college admissions is going, and we want to do something to try to make it easier for underrepresented or marginalized populations to have access to college, right? And so it is a signaling to the public, to the applicant pool, hey, we care about this. And by getting rid of legacy, because if you look at the data, the majority, the vast, vast majority of legacy students will be white students, right? So when you take away that affirmation, you are now making more room for students that, you know, through history, uh, historically have been marginalized through, you know, the infrastructure um, and, and, and just a, a longstanding structure that has made it harder for many other students who are not white and wealthy to have access to college. Mm. So then what happens to those that are already legacy students? Yeah, I mean, they can still be admitted, right? The, the, the ruling when, when a college is saying, hey, we're not, you know, we're not going to affirm you because of legacy status. It doesn't mean that you can't get in, right? There's still going to be plenty of legacy students that get in, right? When when you look at the the data, and you know, at Johns Hopkins or some of the other places, there there are still a number of students, you know, percentages, um, significant percentages of students who are legacy students that are admitted to the college, and that's that's a big part of the applicant pool, and that's a big part of of the you know the important population on campus, so it's not like you can't get you know, this. This ruling is like if you're a legacy, you cannot be admitted. It just means that you can't be affirmed, right? You can't get a you can't receive a bump for being a legacy, but you could still get a bump for you know being an athlete or you know being having a high test score or having you know high grades that would help the college's bottom line. So there are other things that you can get affirmed for, but colleges are saying, okay, legacy students, we're, we're no longer you know, some colleges, not all, right? Some colleges are saying we're no longer giving you a bump for being a legacy student. Mm. So would you advise then that those that are listening, parents that may be listening, trying to figure this out, it's a big deal. Um, and it's not something we can approach easily um, right now. We need more information. At least I think so. Sure. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think a lot of it is coded. Right. Those that are kind of applying, most families just don't they don't have access to what this all means. They have a very big misunderstanding of what this means. Right. When I talk to a lot of my friends, right, we, we live in an affluent community in Connecticut. When I talk to a lot of my friends they're you know, they're under the impression that, oh, wow, uh, like now that races, races, um, you know, can't be considered. It means that my son or daughter, right, if they're white, um, would have a, a greater chance of getting into a place, right? Because no, no longer can, you know, uh, kids that don't deserve spots or, you know, can't do the work, no longer can those kids get in. So now it gives my, my son or daughter a greater chance. And that's the biggest misconception because the students that are, no, no one is getting in because, they, you know, everyone that is getting in can do the work, right? And, and really the students that are taking up the spots of my friends who, you know, who don't know are, are legacy students, right? And so, and, and for some colleges, they need the legacy students, right? Like that's very, very important for them as a business, as a cultural institution. It's part of their secret sauce. 
And so I'm not saying that every college should get away with legacy. Not, I don't think every college will do away with legacy preferences, but a lot of them I think will um, will follow Wesley, and especially in that in that group of schools. That's you know their athletic conference is called the NESCAC, and there are there are other NESCAC schools that you know where the faculty senate have voted to to do away with legacy preferences, but that you know the the president has not has not yet um, followed suit on what the faculty would like. So the faculty, I get that, sir. I'm curious about your job yeah. as premier college admissions counselor. That is a big, yeah. gigantic t- um, a title for any parents that are li- listening and watching going, oh, my gosh, I got to make sure she gets, you know, or he gets this great, you know, college admissions counselor. What you do right. really, really matters. It was um, uh, integral to my daughter's um, how she was able to move through yeah. education in her life. And I, I'm just curious to know, with all of this happening now, how does it affect who you are and what you do? Yeah, you know, I think that this this business, right, the the the, the profession of helping students and families navigate college admissions, it's, it it has been a, a busy business for the last, you know, since, since I've been in, involved. Um, our company is, you know, Ivy Wise is just celebrating 25 years. Um, and it, it's never really had a down year, right? There's always going to be folks that want to m- maximize, optimize their chances of, of getting in. There's always going to be people that want to learn more as much as they can about the process and kind of decode everything that there is to know. There's always going to be people that want to be prepared to thrive once they get into college. I think that's a really big point right now because all of this talk is about getting into college and we've kind of turned a blind eye, you know, we being kind of the general public, but really preparing to get the most out of college, especially at the cost point that it is right now. You know, there's going to be, uh, you know, there's going to be a, a point in time where the return on investment is just simply not worth the cost of admission. And so all of this, all of the, the stuff that I do professionally, right, is taking away from actually the, the, the conversations on how to better prepare all of our students to thrive in college. And and be competitive in, in a global market when, when they graduate. Yes, but I just want everyone to have a chance. You know, I'm so blessed yeah. to have a chance, right? I'm working, I'm almost yeah. finished with my master's degree. And it is yeah. so frustrating when you start to hear more about what's happening right now. Like the University of Minnesota Twin Cities will not consider right. race, family, employment, or attendance, so-called legacy status, in undergraduate right. student admissions. Okay, the university says the decisions are prompted by the Supreme Court's June ruling on race-conscious right. admissions. You start reading this stuff and you almost feel as though I shouldn't go to college. That's what... That's what I'm afraid of. Some students may just walk away from the idea. That 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 is true. You know, that's a great point. When we look at what happened with Prop 209 in the University of California, right? This is a 1996 decision, um, and it was it was when the California state, you know, banned the use of race consideration in admissions. And there's been a tremendous amount of research done, longitudinal as well. Like they they looked at numbers. And you're absolutely right in, in assuming that the number of students of color, right, um, declined. The number of underrepresented minority students the following few years, you know, that decided to apply declined at the most elite institutions at, you know, in that system, which was Cal Berkeley and UCLA. And then oh longitudinally, they looked at the data and the number of students that graduated years and years afterwards, right, um, 
there was a, a drop in the percentage of black students or, or young professionals who identified as black making $100,000 or more, right? So that is a tremendous hit to the, the labor force in the state of California. So there's, there's a lot of, you know, a, a lot of collateral damage, you know, that we're not even considering. Yes, it's going to be hard, but yes, you're right. There's going to be some students that are less likely to apply. And then in turn, there's going to be probably a, a downtick in, in success, right? As long as colleges kind of just don't change what they're doing. And I think colleges, you know, my colleagues on the college side, they're, they're creative, they're smart, they're, they believe in social justice. And so they're going to try to do what they can to try to enroll continue to enroll diverse classes without breaking the law. Well, Nate said, uh, Nat Sittable, thank you so much for joining us no, tonight. I've learned a lot, and I, I'm still sad on the inside, I must tell you that. But I hope we can call on you again. Thank you so much. Yes. Thanks for the opportunity. All right, Nat. Take care of yourself. Great. Thank you. You too. Good luck to your daughters. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.